This is a special world report with a friend of Mejigoria. forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is, I am who am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. He is most powerful when he is denied. He is most powerful when he is denied. What you just heard is Bishop Fulton Sheen, a man who was filled with a lot of wisdom. I knew his secretary. Her name was Suzanne. She was married to Tom Murphy. He owned ABC 100%. I took both of them to Medjugorje. Suzanne had a deep devotion to Our Lady, so I had time to talk to her both in Medjugorje and here at Caritas. And she told me many things about Fultishin, where they broadcast in New York. And she believed he was one of the most powerful and truthful of the clerics in his time and after his time. We know there is an effect in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. What you just heard Bishop state, God's definition of himself is I am who am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who am not. Is there a business that you can classify as the most evil company in the world? It's called BlackRock. They manage... $20 trillion. Over 30 years, they have grown to have their hands in everything. They control 90% of the news. They control your pensions. They control your retirements. Maybe you heard a few months in one of our broadcasts that there was no fertilizers for the farmers because the trains couldn't deliver it. We researched that and found out that BlackRock owns a great part of the railroads and also 
had their hands in commercial fertilizer. Why would they do that? For power. Power is what a lady is saying about Satan. He's getting his hand on everything. Satan works through the system. Listen to this clip about the man who started BlackRock, who is greatly seeking power. Larry was born into a wealthy Los Angeles family in 1952, and from the start, he was always hungry for power. With his early years spent pursuing a career in politics, where he would gain a BA in political science from UCLA. However, he soon enough realized that politics isn't where the real power is, money is. Following this, he changed his focus early on to go into banking and real estate. And while at college, Fink was immersing himself in the world of the rich and powerful, having been a full-time member of the secretive Kappa Beta Phi, a group that's members included Michael Bloomberg and the Goldman Sachs chairmen. Fink took full advantage of these connections and started a career in the mortgage bond department at First Boston, a boring New York-based investment bank. This was where Larry would make his mark on the financial world, because over his time at First Boston, Fink became one of the highest earning employees, generating over $1 billion. He was unstoppable and it seemed like he was going to be crowned CEO. Larry became an expert in these little understood investments during his time. However, this success didn't come without a price. He wasn't going to make this money for someone other than him. And so he began creating a ticking time bomb and only he knew how to defuse it. March 18th. 1985. Right now, many are greatly seeking money, not only in the parish, but in the whole world. Woe to those who seek to take everything. Henry Kissinger, in 1973, said, Who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control the whole continents. Who controls money can control the world. The head of BlackRock is very pro-pride for Obamas. And any company that goes against that, they punish them. Target, Budweiser, they blackball them. Listen to this. This is a company most people have never heard of, and this company quite literally owns the world. Most US banks are controlled by BlackRock. BlackRock owns all the major pharmaceutical companies. BlackRock owns most of the mainstream media, and BlackRock oversees roughly 10% of all stocks traded worldwide. And this company is now taking over governments. All of this has allowed BlackRock to amass $10 trillion in assets. Yes, trillion. BlackRock is worth half of America's total GDP. It's so crazy that the US and Chinese government now rely on BlackRock to 
Escape Recessions, with BlackRock's founder and CEO now sitting on the boards of the Influential Council on Foreign Relations and the World Economic Forum. In the words of Henry Kissinger, whoever controls the money controls the world, and no other company in history has had this much global influence. And what's even crazier is that BlackRock did this in just 34 years. How could BlackRock go from being just a boring investment firm to the most powerful company that has ever existed? And in 1988, BlackRock was formed. In just five years, BlackRock went from being worth $5 million to over $8 billion. Larry Fink's path to world domination was unstoppable. Larry Fink became more and more powerful over the next decade. If you look into who owns pretty much any major company, you're almost guaranteed to find BlackRock's name. In late 2008, the Federal Reserve hired BlackRock to manage their investments to protect them from coronavirus-led recessions. And BlackRock has used this dependence to grow their empire even further, allowing Larry Fink to be a billionaire oligarch that holds unprecedented power over not just the economy, but the entire world. He controls trends, culture, foreign policy, and the banks. He has world leaders at his beck and call, with BlackRock overseeing assets worth 10% of the world's global economy. BlackRock now owns stakes in every industry from media companies, banks, oil companies, and weapon manufacturers. And in recent years, the consequences are becoming dire as Larry Fink begins to exert his control over the world. You just heard about BlackRock. Now you'll hear a clip from George Orwell in a book that he wrote in 1949 titled 1984 about the future about power. I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party, but always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you.
comes on the scene in 1988, fulfilling what Orwell wrote. I don't know how he knew that, but it's prophetic. And if the past tells us anything, it seems like BlackRock is only destined to control more and more of our daily lives. Through Larry Fink's close ties with government leaders around the world, with his huge influence over the World Economic Forum, and his position on the boards of the Council on Foreign Relations, BlackRock is only destined to metastasize. So perhaps BlackRock defines the new era of our globalized world, where ruthless, predatory corporations amass more power than countries, where our politics and society isn't dictated by votes, it's dictated by investment boards controlled by BlackRock delivering us a more generic, mindless, vapid, and vicious culture. They is talking to us that evil has grown with great power, great strength, very deceptive. A little over a year ago, June 25th, 2022, Our Lady said something incredible to match everything that supports what you're hearing now. Our Lady said, I am with you also in these days when Satan is fighting for war and hatred, division is strong and evil is at work in man as never before. Satan works through the systems. And his big thing in Revelation, you cannot buy or sell. We are in dark times. You can measure the temperature in such a fever that the woman of Revelation has to be with us every day in this dangerous period in the history of the world. What's happening has never happened before. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's why a lady said... April 4th, 1985, I wish to keep on giving you messages, which means she's going to do that. She wants to do it. To keep on giving you messages as it has never been. That means it's never happened before that. She's not just clarifying this in the next words. She's strengthening what she says. Giving you messages as it has never been in history. 
Then she puts more power in her words because, you know, history goes back to the Garden of Eden giving you messages as it has never been in history from the beginning of the world. Medjugorje cannot be compared with Fatima, Guadalupe, and all these other apparitions. Satan, he's amassed the power through the human race to bring many people to perdition. Listen again to what George Orwell says. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph, and self-abasement. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Is the U.S. government the largest landowner? Look at all the parks. Look at the size of the Grand Canyon all across the deserts. They're number one, you think? That's not the case. The U.S. government owns 33,000 acres. BlackRock is a large investor in Alexander and Baldwin. In essence, BlackRock is heavily invested almost twice the acreage of the United States. They have 65,000 acres compared to 33,000 acres of the U.S. government. And guess where it is? The 65,000 acres is on Maui. Maui! How convenient. Are your antennas alerted? You want to hear more things for your antennas? Last January 2023, there was a smart city conference in Maui to turn Maui into the smart city island, pushing everything electric, making 15 minutes smart cities, meaning you could be wherever you want to by walking. The plan was going to be located right where everything burned up. And it's a poor section. Above that, right next to it, wealthy, it didn't burn. More strange things, they refused to give water. The people were fighting it back. They were winning, putting the fire out. 
and suddenly they cut the water. Is that strange? It also happened that day they called school off and sent the children home because they said the electricity went out. But it's strange the parents stayed working. If the electricity's off, why would they not go home? It just so happens the next day after the fire, August 8th, a whole lot of land in my way became available for such an endeavor. So now the smart city now can be built. Sometime before all this happened, they passed a law that preservation of historical buildings, etc., was annulled, meaning they did not have to preserve historical places and they could tear it down. That's strange. The list is growing. Insurance companies are refusing to give the residents any money. So now they can't rebuild their house. And most of you heard about the police blockading streets, funneling everybody down one road, which caused the death of many people. Almost 20 years ago, 2005, Katrina hit Bay St. Louis. We knew the police chief, and he asked if we could help. We brought a lot of equipment down there and helped for several weeks. We worked with FEMA, and they're very transparent. As far as Maui, on August 19th, 2023, FEMA, the Department of Homeland Security, put a letter out by the director. And it's very obvious they're hiding things. We had no restrictions on what pictures we did or what we saw in Bay St. Louis. So here's what the letter says. Out of respect for those who perished, we are asked by Maui County officials to pause on posting on social media and elsewhere new images of damage slash disaster slash debris starting now. What is that about? Is that not strange? Is your antennas going higher? But that's not all. They are asking, that's the officials in Maui, for a full stop on disaster images going forward. At this time, we have not been asked to take any photos and video down. Our team on the ground is coordinating with the county for further guidance to ensure we remain fully aligned. Cultural sensitivity is the most important in all our responses and recovery activities of this disaster. That's weird. You contemplate that. More strange, officials said they didn't do the siren because they didn't want people to run up to the mountain. They think you're stupid on the island and us who are told this. If the siren comes out looking for a tsunami, they're going to see the fire in the mountain. They're not going to go up there. And they also lied. Hawaii's outdoor siren warning system is the largest and the best one in the whole world. But also, what they can erase 
on Hawaii's government website that says, quote, The all-hazard siren system can be used for a variety of both natural and human-caused events, including tsunamis, hurricanes, dam bridges, flooding, wildfires, volcanic eruptions, terrorist threats, and hazard material incidents, and more. You heard on the news. They lied. It's only for tsunamis. That's on the website, people. This whole thing is diabolical. They want to make a smart city. You're going to hear this clip, what they plan, and they've been looking for. Several of the tech giants have their hand in this. You're going to hear of what they planned for Canada. Then now they're planning for Maui. And you're going to be punished if you go out of the 15-minute area. You'll be taxed. This is about control. And it's very anti-Christ. You have to get approval and a permit for a neighborhood party. This clip explains it. They're going to describe utopia. Everybody's going to love this. Fake rushing from work to appointments, going to be late for dinner again. The road rage kicks in. This is the life we're used to. But what if life could look like this? An oasis of green parks, endless sidewalks, and empty roads. Impossible? Well, it's actually the concept behind the 15-minute city. 15-minute city or the 15-minute neighborhood is certainly something that's become very much, you can say, in vogue recently. Paris is working towards it, so is Barcelona and Portland, and now Vancouver also has a plan in place. Big new move number one was that we build a city uh, where for all residents in the city, 90% of your daily needs are within a walking distance. When I put the closest grocery store in my GPS, it's more than a 30-minute walk away. But in a 15-minute city, I could walk to the grocery store, post office, doctor's appointment, gym, hair salon, dentist, you name it, all within, you guessed it, just 15 minutes. A solution not just for gridlock on the streets, but also for carbon emissions. In fact, the goals of creating a more walkable city were announced as part of Vancouver's recent Climate Emergency Action Plan. And the Vancouver Plan and Project team are already in the process of figuring out what neighborhoods should look like and how to translate that into land use strategies. Just look at your neighborhood and look at your walk score. The walk score actually just tells you how many good things you're a short walk from. Where we get really low walk scores are in the, in the parts of the city that are largely suburban. And so there's some sections where, you know, single-family homes are really far uh, from a lot of retail. And uh, in those areas, the actual answer is to deliver more of those uh, um, commercial services to them. The planning project team will be addressing council with options as early as July. They'll also have some pilot project ideas. But for this plan to really work, you don't just need to change the city. To meet the, the environmental goals that um, the country, the province, and the city have committed to repeatedly. Um, is to change behavior. So in Vancouver's latest climate emergency action plan, they announced new incentives to drive less, like connecting cycling and walking networks citywide in hopes that 80% of trips by 2030 will be made either by foot, bike, or transit. They also announced disincentives for driving, like implementing transportation pricing in the Metro Core and creating a carbon pollution surcharge on residential parking permits. But all of this takes some time. Cities change slowly over time because you actually have to build them. The team says they're looking at how to move Vancouver towards this vision over the next 30 to 50 years. She said 30 to 40 years. 
That is being said to not build up some resistance to it. It's got plenty of things in the future. It's a lie. Now you're here. How wonderful it's going to be. It's going to be a concentration camp. It's going to be done to change your behavior. And everybody's going to be in a city, and they're going to be away from the soil. You don't say nothing about walking to your church. Won't be any cemeteries. Your ashes is just thrown in the ocean somewhere or the lake. And what you're going to hear is some negative things about it to make you feel like it's been balanced. But that's put in there to make you be comfortable that we're trying to vet it like too many cameras. What happens when a group of the world's greatest minds gifted with wealth beyond our imagination buys a sprawling waterfront property in Toronto? They make plans for a $14.3 billion futuristic city, that's what. Sidewalk Labs released its master innovation and development plans to turn a chunk of Toronto's Lake Ontario shoreline into the most futuristic city in the world. It would result in over 93,000 jobs and a better standard of living for its residents. Alphabet, an umbrella company that includes Google and Sidewalk Labs, is now creating the world first smart city in Toronto, Canada. It seeks to provide technological solutions to improve citizens' lives. There will be two key areas. Quayside, which is along the shorelines of Lake Ontario and features houses, shops, and offices. The first office here, of course, will be Google's. The second area is the River District, an area of 152 acres featuring five neighborhoods surrounding the Don River. Now, on the housing front, there's a plan for a collection of new mixed-use buildings up to 30 stories tall. The project would cost around three. $3.9 billion and would use mass timber and modular components made in the local factory owned by Sidewalk Labs. To get around, the city will have a $1.2 billion light rail extension, which would connect the neighborhoods to mass transit before the new residents move in. It would cut down on the need for residents to own a car, and it would be safe and affordable. Canada is known for its somewhat overwhelming winters. You've heard the jokes. Well, the hyper-local weather sensors would detect an oncoming snowstorm and heat up the snow-melting pavements. It would keep the streets clear for pedestrians and cyclists as well as autonomous delivery robots. It's all going to be connected, heavily monitored, and pretty much self-regulating. Wi-Fi would be available for everyone throughout the city for free, and sensors around the area would collect data on the energy usage, traffic patterns, and much, much more to ensure you as a resident lead the most comfortable life possible. What's more, the city is going to be climate positive, aka netting a sub-zero carbon footprint. But we already expected that, right? In Toronto, Sidewalk Labs shows a picture of a world with intelligent pay-as-you-throw garbage chutes that separate your plastic from papers for you. The city would charge households by waste, and apps would tell residents when chairs on the waterfront were open so residents can get approvals for block party permits. In addition, traffic signals will auto-calibrate to ease pedestrian congestion during public events and rush hours. The director of Sidewalk Labs, Eric Jaffe, was primarily responsible for this impressive proposal. He expects, or rather hopes, that more cities around the world will pick up on this blueprint and use it for themselves. One of those ideas is for a factory-built housing. It helps developers complete their projects for reliably, on time, and at a lower cost. Critique and government approval. Before all that, though, government officials have to scrutinize and approve Sidewalk Lab's master plan. Or not. And don't expect the process to be a snap. 
Some of the major elements of the project have shifted over time, and so have the targets of the project's detractors. When Waterfront Toronto, the government-appointed non-profit developer of Toronto's Eastern Shore, chose Sidewalk Labs to plan their smart city development, the most controversial point of the plan was the idea that a Google sister company planned to harvest data in public space. Over time, Sidewalk Labs was criticized for not revealing how they would use the data and who would control it. And for a while there, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association sued the government to stop the project. So, sure, Sidewalk Labs dreamt of making a section of Toronto a futuristic city, the likes of which we've only ever seen in science fiction. But skeptics saw a darker side. Thousands of cameras monitoring streets and data from every household being taken and used. This was one among many things their CEO, Sundar Pichai, had to testify about when he was called to Congress and pretty much grilled for three and a half hours. For those reasons, and perhaps others, the Sidewalk Toronto project was abandoned in May of 2020 to give way for a new new kind of city. As exciting as the new city would have been, we still lost the chance to have an internet-first community, which promised affordable internet and precise data on our carbon footprint and consumption to live more sustainable lifestyles. We lost a fully integrated transport system, social housing, 93,000 jobs, and finally, a green city initiative. But bigger things are to come. The new city in Toronto. Now, Quayside will have a new, different kind of development. The government called for proposals when Google and Toronto parted ways, and these new plans seem to center on affordability, low-carbon design, and an emphasis on local and minority-owned businesses instead of what some have called a dystopian nightmare. There's a lot to be done. So far, the plans only include glossy renderings of wooden skyscrapers and the integration of elements of Lake Ontario into parks and recreational areas. But one thing's for sure, it won't be a Google smart city. Would you want to live in a Google city? You can feel confident because the government is going to have oversight. They say these things to make you feel like the balance of positive and negatives. It's a charade. Would you want to live in a Google city? That's exactly what it is. But it said, like, we're not going to let it be that way. But that's what they're talking about. This is the building of the electronic tower Babel that they think they're going to reach to heaven, creating paradise. Fulton Sheen said, the power of Satan, Aurel said about the power of darkness that would come. We are in dark days our lady is speaking to us, and she's walking with us in the darkest time in the history of the world. But she's here to bring the light when things are the hardest. Our lady has heard every one of our prayers. She's listening to us. Many of our children don't hear her, but our lady's not going to give up. She's promised that she will be the way when there's no way out. And she'll be your strength when you have to walk into the fire. She'll be right there with you in the flames. She wouldn't have it any other way because it's easy for her to love you, her children. I see you, child, though you can't see me. And I know your thoughts before you even think I heard every last prayer you pray. 
she, Our Lady, the woman, she has more plans and dreams. There's no way to change the world today just by religion. The mentalities are so sick, depraved, diabolical. There is only one way. The illumination is a purification. Fire sterilizes. It cleans. It purifies. What Kachita talked about. You will have a fire in your conscience so severe that you'll want to die. And you'll see and understand all your sins. In the very beginning of the apparitions, Medjugorje, 1981, our lady says, Yes, the fire seen by the faithful was of a supernatural character. It is one of the signs, a forerunner of the great sign. Our Lady is jumping from 1965 from Conchita about the fire that would burn but not destroy. Going back to Medjugorje, regarding the fire that hundreds of people saw that burned but did not consume anything. These two apparitions are being bridged and the only way to purify the world that everybody in the world see their sins and either go toward God or hate God more. Leave sin the sins of Sodom. We know biblically that when you go to that level, God is going to intervene. And He is. We wish you a lady. We love you. Good night.